0: That's joinmidi.com.
1: Hi,
2: welcome back. Thanks for being here on Face Palm America. I am Beowulf Rockland, your host. Please go to Twitter, follow us, share us at FacePalmUSA. USA. That's where to go. You can call us, text us, 202-656-6271. Boy, um, there's some good news and there's some bad news when it comes to the Democratic Party. I guess I'm going to save the best for last because there is some good news. I like it when Democrats do good things. And I do want to tell you about that. But I can't ignore what is in the headlines. And what's in the headlines is uh, is not very good. No, it's not. It's not good at all because remember that whole thing where Joe Biden said that he was going to cancel a bunch of student debt? $10,000 worth, maybe even $20,000 worth in some cases. Well, that has been severely curtailed. They made a decision to exclude millions of people, the Biden administration has, from its student loan relief plan, a move meant to thwart legal challenges, like the lawsuit filed this week by six Republican-led states seeking to block the president's proposal to cancel up to $20,000 of federal educational debt per borrower. Now, anybody who thought that either conservative states or states, rather, led by right-wing politicians or right-wing organizations weren't going to sue when the president does... Anything, even marginally left of center, is just not paying attention to American politics today. That's just the standard go-to thing to do. So the idea that, oh my goodness, we're not doing this after all, because we might get sued, is just complete and utter bullshit. Of course you were going to get sued. Those are the tactics of the right in 2022. That is just what happens, and you've got to be prepared for it. So this should not have come as a shock. And it's true that Republicans want to keep us in debt for the rest of our lives, by and large. There are exceptions. I sh- again, I should say the right wing wants to keep you in debt for the rest of your life. But we know this. That's a thing. That's how it works these days. But it kind of seems like the Democratic Party wants to keep us in debt for the rest of our lives, too. And just to be thoroughly transparent here, I don't have any student debt. I was very lucky. I grew up in an era where tuition was low low enough, and I was able to work a job which at that time paid enough relative to what the costs were and I got support from the government in terms of uh, Pell Grants. Because, I, I mean, I was a good student. And my parents were were not wealthy. Not even close. And so I was able to get through college. I don't have student debt. Many people do. But but, but you've got to listen to the details of, of why they did this. Why they, before... A midterm election, which they supposedly want to win, would, one, water down completely a student debt cancellation proposal to the point where it's only about 10000 maybe in some cases $20,000, to a point where supposedly it's amenable to enough Republicans and big corporations to make it doable although again this is an executive action so it doesn't even require any congressional input because they really should have gotten rid of all debt that's what should have been done but they didn't do that they took a paltry amount and they said okay we're gonna do something and then we said okay well at least they're doing something and now they're not even doing that much they're not even doing that much because, ultimately, the Democratic Party, by and large, is part of the same system. They're part of the same group of people, and they are beholden to big corporations and financial organizations that make money from this. And And I will go into detail and demonstrate exactly why that is the case. But let's... Go through the details of the story. Politico reports worries over legal challenges from the student lending industry prompted the U.S. Department of Education to reverse course and no longer allow borrowers from the F- with federal family education loan program and Perkins loans, which are guaranteed by the federal government, but held by private lenders, which is nonsense, by the way. Why is the federal government... Supported by our tax dollars, guaranteeing loans to private co- from private corporations. Why are they guaranteed to get their money back? Why is that? Why are we supporting their risk? Why are we underwriting their risk? It's a business. You have to take a risk. In capitalism, that's supposed to be the way it goes. But apparently, in late stage capitalism, you get coddled by the government if you're big enough. Again, we kind of know this. Anyway, for folks who have loans through that, at the moment, they're reversing themselves on people being able to participate in the debt cancellation plan if you have that kind of loan. Biden announced last month in his administration that his administration will forgive $10,000 in federal student loan. Debt for borrowers who attended college without Pell Grants and who earn less than $125,000 individually or $250,000 as a household. Borrowers who received Pell Grants will have $20,000 in federal aid erased, or would have. The administration's reversal, now listen to this, came as six Republican-led states filed a lawsuit in a Missouri federal court Thursday arguing that the president's debt relief plan is not remotely tailored to address the effects of the pandemic on student loan borrowers. Don't listen to what they're saying. They're lying to you. All they want, and apparently all the administration wants now, is for the student debt industry to make their money and of course it's consistent with what they're doing because they're already guaranteeing their loans they're already guaranteeing their loans it's it's just it's just mind-boggling here according to the washington post the suit emphasizes now listen carefully listen carefully that missouri's student loan servicer which is a part of its state government could see a drop in revenue because borrowers are likely to consolidate their loans under the federal family education loan program so it's not as important that you're drowning in debt it's more important that people are making money off you drowning in debt
1: that's more important
2: can you imagine that on thursday the fed- the administration said it would exclude federal family education loan programs from the loan forgiveness program that change could help head off legal claims against the policy although it would mean that roughly 2 million of the 44 million otherwise eligible borrowers were not qualified for the relief fight them fight them in the courts why wouldn't you fight them i'll tell you why they wouldn't fight them because They are contributing to their campaigns. The student debt industry is contributing to their campaigns. They are financially beholden to them, and so they are making decisions on their behalf. Bad. Bad. Bad Democrats. No good. No es bueno. No good. And, I'm sorry to say... Turning to another page, yes, I still print stuff out. So sue me, I'm sorry. I recycle it. But I print stuff out. I'm 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 an old fashioned old dude who prints stuff out on paper because I can't bear to look at screens every single second of the day. Sue me. Anyway, more bad news from the Republicans. I mean <laughs> I get them confused because they're virtually identical. The Democrats. Yes. Democrats scrap plan to vote on stock trading ban before elections. No good. House Democrats have scrapped a tentative plan to move this month on legislation borrowing lawmakers from trading stocks, a vote sought by some Democrats heading into the midterm elections. You know, so they wouldn't look completely and utterly corrupt. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, Democrat of Maryland, said Thursday that there was not enough time for the lawmakers to study the details of the proposal, which had been introduced just two days earlier before the House leaves Washington Friday for the long midterm recess. They just got back at the beginning of the month. They just got back. You know why they're leaving? Because I got to go beg for more money from... The same people they buy stocks from, from the same people that are drowning you in debt. They have to go beg for money. That's what they spend most of their time doing. Not legislating, not conducting oversight, but begging for money from massive corporations. That is what they spend most of their time doing. So they don't have time to stop benefiting from the insider information that they get and trade stocks no time it's an important issue Steny Hoyer said people have to look at it Steny said when we do something we do it right the problem is Steny you never do anything the announcement is a departure from comments made by Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who makes a bunch of money from trading stocks. In fact, there are people who online follow her stock disclosures, trade the same stock uh, stocks that she does, and make a bunch of money. She just gets there first, makes even more. Earlier in the month, Nancy Pelosi indicated negotiations on this bill were going well, and we believe we have a product that we can bring to the floor this month. That's another problem. If you view what you do as a product, as opposed to a law, a policy, something to make people's lives better, if you're viewing yourself in those terms where it's a product, you're halfway down the road to hell to begin with. Pelosi and Hoyer have been among those prominent opponents noting that federal law already prohibits insider trading and warning that a special ban from members of congress might dissuade talented people from running for office it, it might dissuade corrupt people from running for office if that's what they mean by talented if they, if if corruption to them is a talent and and really for pelosi and and hoyer it is i'm sorry this is a bad The first half of this, anyway, is a bad Democrat deal. I'm sorry. I cannot lie. I chopped down the cherry tree. Yet, the proposal has gained enormous momentum in the current Congress following the revelations that scores of lawmakers have violated existing laws designated to eliminate conflicts of interest between legislators, legislators and the investments they pursue. Even if no laws are violated, supporters of the ban say the current system can create the damaging perception lawmakers are trading on information not available uh, to the general public or crafting legislation to boost their own finances. Yes, that is the perception, because it's true. Public opinion polls conducted this year indicate overwhelming support for the stock ban, with approval numbers hovering Above 70%. That's Democrats and Republicans. We don't have 70% Democrats in this country. That's that's bipartisan. And And so, right before the midterms, you're going to say, we don't have time to pass something that 70% of people approve of. You don't have time to do that. You don't have time to lose. But you see... The problem is this. They don't care about losing your vote. They don't even care about losing control of the House of Representatives. What they care about losing is support, financial in particular, from these people on Wall Street. They're worried about losing money. That's what they care about. And that is bad, bad, Bad. Do you you understand this? And clearly it's not isolated. Because they're doing the same thing. They're pandering to an industry that supports them with regard to the student loan stuff, too. And they say they didn't have time. They've been developing this bill for six months. There was plenty of time to consider it. They don't want to do it, so they're not doing it. And they're either not going to do it at all when they come back, or they're going to do a version of it that's meaningless when they come back. So I don't know what to tell you. If you're a Democrat, it's bad news. Bad. But stand by, okay? Just hold on. Because I don't want to be a total Debbie Downer. Because there is good news. And, and I do want to tell some of it to you and i'm i'm very proud of it because it involves my little corner of the world so stand by stay with us on facepalm america we'll be back in just a moment i'm going to tell you a good story about democrats
1: that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Okay. Welcome back to Face Palm America. We've heard a lot of bad stuff about what Democrats are doing and how they really need to shape up. But uh, I need to bring you some good news because there is some. And it involves the governor of my state, Oregon kate brown and i will say that she has been doing some wonderful things (sighs) let's disperse all of the negative energy from that last segment and say yes there are democrats who are doing good things thank you democrats at least in this one instance All right, Kate Brown has been dealing with the criminal justice system in a very positive way, and there was a profile of her in The Guardian by Amandra Waldrop that you should check out from this week. And I'm going to read some of it to you here. Not the whole thing, but you should go to The Guardian and read the rest of it. The title of the story is The Story of One U.S. Governor's Historic Use of Clemency. We are a nation of second chances. Yes, that is true. That is something that some Democrats still realize. Last October, Kate Brown, the governor of Oregon, signed an executive order granting clemency to 73 people who had committed crimes as juveniles, clearing a path for them to apply for parole. The move marked the high point in a remarkable arc. As Brown approaches the end of her second term in January, there's now an election for her replacement going on, she has granted commutations or pardons to 1,147 people, more than all of Oregon's governors from the past 50 years combined. That is good stuff. That is very good. The story of clemency in Oregon is one of major societal developments colliding, the pressure of COVID-19 pandemic putting on the prison system, and a growing momentum for criminal justice reform. It's also a story of a governor's personal convictions and how she came to embrace clemency as a tool for criminal justice reform and as an act of grace, exercising the belief that compassionate mercy and ensuring public safety are not mutually exclusive. I know we have heard for a long time, for as long as I can remember in, in, in politics, the idea that if you're going to reduce crime, you got to get tough on crime. You know, the, the, the dirty, hairy, reactionary style of criminal justice. There's only one problem with that. It doesn't work. It actually makes a situation far worse and puts people in situations where they're More likely to do more crime. When you are compassionate and you give people a chance by carefully researching where that is most helpful, you actually reduce crime. And don't tell me that, you know, crime is rampant everywhere. It's not. I've been to Portland, I walk the streets of the city where I live in Oregon. I can see I mean, there are problems. I mean crime hasn't disappeared completely. And there are a lot of homeless people, and that's a that's a different issue that all that does not necessarily redound on the politicians uh, in the state of Oregon who are by and large Democrats. Well but taking people out of prison when they don't need to be in prison is a good thing. And that's what Kate Brown is doing. When Brown, a Democrat, became governor in Oregon in 2015, she received the power of executive clemency, an umbrella term referring to the ability of American governors and the president to grant mercy to criminal defendants. Clemency includes pardons, which fully forgive someone who has committed a crime, commutations, which change prison sentences, often resulting in early release, reprieves, which pause punishment, and eliminating court-related fines and fees. During the early months of the COVID-19 pandemic, Brown was one of 18 governors across the U.S. who used clemency to quickly reduce prison populations in the hopes of curbing virus transmission. She approved the early release of 963 people who had committed nonviolent crimes and met six additional criteria. Not enough, according to estimates by the state's Department of Corrections, to enable physical distancing and far less than California, which released 5,300 people. Well, the the problem there is the state of California has has 10 times as many people as the state of Oregon does. And um, she reduced fewer than California did, but proportionally, she actually released more of them. Almost a, a, a thousand. So, really, that's, that's almost twice as many, proportionally, as the state of California. She has pardoned 63 people. Most notably, she has commuted the sentences of 144 people convicted of crimes as serious as murder, yet have demonstrated extraordinary evidence of rehabilitation. And that's what a, um, a term in prison should be. It should be an opportunity to reform. And if there's not the possibility that you're ever going to get out, how can it be that? And Kate Brown has realized that, thank goodness. Democratic and Republican governors in North Carolina, Louisiana, Missouri, Kansas, and Ohio have granted clemency for similar reasons. Yet Brown's numbers are among the highest in the U.S., and the impact of her decisions are profound. Oregon's prison population declined for the first time since the passage of the state's Measure 11 Mandatory Minimum Sentencing Law in 1994. Measure 11 codified mandatory sentences for 16 violent crimes, required juveniles over the age of 15 charged with those crimes to be tried as adults. It's the the shockwaves in in my state from the 1980s reactionary get-tough-on-crime bullshit. Brown also stands out for who she grants clemency to. 40% 40% of Brown's commutations are black in response to black Oregonians being incarcerated at a rate five times higher than their share of the state's population. Nearly two dozen other clemency recipients were convicted as juveniles. Many were sentenced to life without parole and other lengthy sentences. Brown's acts reflect the governor's values and beliefs. She accepts Research in adolescent development showing people are not fully mature until their mid-twenties. And all you need to do to think about that, if you're not a scientist, or haven't read the research, studies, I mean scientific studies, not Googling it, is think about what you were like when you were about 20. (laughs) Was your brain fully developed? I don't think so. She was the first Oregon governor to visit the state woman's prison. She believes people are not defined by their worst acts and are capable of redemption. Yes, people are capable of redemption. They don't always do it, but sometimes you can see when, if given a chance, they will redeem themselves. Over time, Brown and her legal counsel have created a six-month process to win out all but 10% of applications that reach Brown's desk. So it's not like she's just doing it willy-nilly. She's very carefully considering how this should be done. Brown gives a lot of weight to applicants' post-release plans. If the application makes it to Brown's desk, it will see receive thorough consideration. She is known to read applications carefully. They're incredibly extensive, the governor said. How do you plan to deal with your sobriety, Brown said at an interview with one of the applicants in 2020. What kind of job do you want to get? When the interview ended, Brown granted granted the applicants clemency. Brown has acknowledged victims of violent crime are traumatized, sometimes violently and irreparably. Her office recently hired a victim's advocate to work directly with victims. Her clemency reports also reveal not all victims And this is something that you don't often hear in the news. There's a focus, kind of understandably, about how much pain a victim of a crime, a rape, a murder, suffers. But that doesn't always necessarily mean that the best path is interminable punishment. Not all victims oppose clemency. Some are neutral, while others are supportive. Victims opposed to clemency have been given more attention in the press. Said Mary Zinkin, founder and executive director of the Portland-based Center for Trauma Support Services. They do not represent all crime survivors. There's one woman who received clemency in April 2020. She was 74 years old, one of the oldest people in Oregon's prison system. She had served 23 years for shooting her abusive boyfriend during a fight. Injuries which later killed him. In prison, she maintained a spotless disciplinary record and became a mother figure to younger female prisoners. I changed my life, she said. Prison cleaned me up, gave me a sense of worth again. She now lives in Central California with friends who have given her free reign of the garden I love doing yard work there. Isn't that a better outcome than somebody dying in prison? Isn't it understandable that the maximum amount of punishment is not always the best way? And that the point is not retribution. The point is the best possible outcome for everyone. And so, again, Governor Brown, good one for you. Good one for a nationally prominent Democrat. I wish there were one more like you. Well, I'm Beowulf Rocklin. This has been FacePalm America. This program was produced by Rosebel Hine and Lauren Little. It's distributed by Two Squared Media Productions. You can find us at FacePalm USA. Call or text us at 202-656-6271. Share this program with your friends on social media.